Harlots of History contains explicit language, overt sexual themes, and discussion of sensitive subjects. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harlots of History, a show by women for everyone, except children and pets, including our own. This show is created by our love of the shadier, inventive, and bold women, men, and non-binary humans that you cannot find in the history books. We will be exploring and educating ourselves, and hopefully our listeners, on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, and of course, harlots. We will delve into their pasts, sordid or honorable, discussing the era that they happen to live in and the problems of the times. Be ready for some controversial figures. You may be surprised at how many harlots in history you end up loving or at least begrudgingly respect. So sit back, grab a fizzy drink, some salty snacks, and have some fun listening to Harlots of History, taking back the word harlot one episode at a time. Okay, welcome to Harlots of History. I'm Kara Mia. And I'm Emily. And as you by now know, we are both moms in our respective homes. One's a dog mom, one's a kid mom, but you know, we're all moms. Dog and cat mom. <laughs> we, we all clean up about the same amount of poop. <laughs> oh, ex- we're not even going to get into that. <laughs> So uh, today we are continuing the second episode on sex workers in the Wild West. And I highly suggest that you go back and you listen to the first episode. Otherwise, this one's not going to have a whole lot of context for you, but you can still continue listening. And we are on the second half of our Bottles of Sparkling Rosé. Or at least so, I am. Yeah. I, uh, 75%. I've been being conservative because I'm the one reading. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, you just take a big sip. Yes, I did. Okay, so just to quickly sum up, we were getting into the hierarchy of sex workers. We discussed discussed race, we discussed background, we discussed madams, we discussed a whole lot of stuff, and now we're just going to jump right into it. So instead of starting from the highest ranked, so-called ranked establishment for sex working to the lowest, I'm starting at the lowest. Okay. Just just to kind of keep them fresh in our mind. So at the bottom rung of sex working was, and I hate using this phrase, but it is the one that's used, is streetwalkers. At the bottom of the hierarchy were streetwalkers. These were women who sold their bodies on the street because no establishment would have them. Their bodies and clothes were tattered and worn because they were spat out by the industry. Most of these women had been in the industry since their early teens. These women would try to poach the men from outside other establishments, desperate for their next high to stay warm. And a lot of these women, of course, as I just implied, were were drug addicts and opium and laudanum were really commonly used what is, in this what profession. Is I feel like it's a kind of opiate. Probably. It's just like a little bit more, I, 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 you know, like I, I just always remember like seeing all these society women. Remember there was like taking their laudanum, like, yeah, please look, look it up. up. Yeah. Um, it sounds, it sounds like it's like a heroin based laudanum. Op- uh, it's, la- it's, oh, yeah. it's like an opiate, laudanum, right? Laudanum is a tincture of opium containing approximately 10% powdered opium by weight. Reddish brown and extremely bitter. It contains almost all the opium alkaloids, including morphine and codeine. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, 
So these women were... It's understandable that, you know, after being with many men a day, you would want to take something... Well, also these these women, like I said, they slip through the cracks of society. Yeah. And also these uh, women confined themselves to the red light districts because they were constantly targeted by police and run out of town. The professionalization of police forces in 1930, or sorry, 1830, made streetwalking a risky and highly illegal practice. So out of all of the sex workers and the different kinds of sex workers and the different establishments, streetwalkers were the most targeted by police force. And of course, they were the most marginalized out of all of the different kinds of sex workers. Drug overdoses, suicide, and freezing to death in the winter were all extremely common. And there is just so many accounts of women in their 20s who were streetwalkers and looked like they were in their 50s because of the drug abuse that was a ca- that was caused by them either being forced into their profession by number of you know different reasons it's it's just it's just so heartbreaking and a lot of the streetwalking too from like what i understand was like women were having to be like, all right, well, I can't afford to pay for my bed this evening. So I'm going to have to go out on the streets and get a client so I can afford for a place to sleep. And, and they would literally and, have to and, go out. And desperate yeah. people do desperate things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it and, should be noted too. And obviously like our stance on this should be clear, but like in history, I think that women, sex working women, and especially women of color who are involved in sex working, when there is some crime committed against them, they have been considered less than human. And I think mm-hmm. that, like, that's why we're doing these episodes is to be like, look, this is a time this is sex working is not something that you should look down upon and that you should look at the whole story and understand. As a legitimate profession, as a, a seriously, as the only way that women could truly make money back in those days that was somewhat equal to what men would like they made, you know? Yeah. 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 No, totally. Yep. I agree. And Emily and I, we're, we're really just getting our research skills honed, but we will be doing a lot more research into situations like this, where it involves people of color and also people of uh, different sexuality. It's just incredibly hard to find these. And right Mm -hmm. now with our libraries not being open and stuff, you know, we have limited resources when it comes to that, but just letting you know that that is something that we definitely feel passionate about. Yeah. We, I think one thing that like, it's really, I mean, we've already known that history is like pretty whitewashed, but it's been in our efforts to look for women of color and especially just on like, it's shocking. So if anyone has, you know, we, of course, will are going to put in the time and research to find these women as well. But if anybody has anybody that they would like us to cover, you can always email us at uh, Harlots, yeah, Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. So we always would love suggestions from anyone. And also, if like somebody, and I mean, I know this is doing our work for us, but if somebody has a resource that they just love, you mm-hmm. know, and we will always credit you for giving us that resource, you know, it's yeah. just... It's just something that, you know, right now we're, we're a little bit lost with researching different things. And yeah, it's just, it's just the fact that you can't type in sex workers of color in the wild West and nothing Mm -hmm. pops up native women as sex workers in the wild West, nothing pops up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, that's kind of a crazy thing that nothing pops up in Google for that. You know what I mean? Even just that like alone, that's rudimentary, but you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think that just on its own, it just shows you how our society is set up too, because I think that you and I, like when we were making our list of people that we wanted to do, we were both really, really trying to be inclusive and include not just like white women or Mm -hmm. white history. And it was extremely hard for us to find Mm -hmm. that. That's why we had to broaden our topic from just mistresses to pretty much just we're not just sex, but harlots. Yeah. It's just like broaden it. Let's explore all these things that have to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the, so first came the streetwalkers. Next came crib houses. Crib houses were. I hate that term term so much. It's so, it's so gross. Yeah. Crib houses were usually found later in the century in segregated parts of town. Crib house girls worked and lived in small spaces, which were called cribs. These were run by tough, mean madam and sometimes pimps who were abusive to those in their employee. That's including the madams. The only prerequisite to work in a crib house was to be female, and many of these women abused drugs heavily. These women worked in a high-volume business and often got high to get through the night. Men would line up at their door to wait their turn, and a crib worker would see 20 to 30 men a night. If a cattle drive was going through town, she would see up to 75 men a night. Can you imagine? No. I mean, can you even imagine more than one man? Like, you and I I at our worst night, we might have been able to imagine two men. But, like, I can't. Even I think I have to like go ice my vagina right now just thinking about that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I wonder why these women were using opium and laudanum. I mean, know? yeah, those those sort of drugs like are are pretty prevalent in that, and you can imagine why because you know they're numbing mm-hmm. and they are euphoric. Mm-hmm. And God, seventy! Oh my God, I can't even imagine that. And uh, the sheets were not changed nightly. Yeah. Maybe if they were lucky nightly, but they were not changed. And the men did not take off their clothes or their boots. Cattle drive men, stinking from the road, did not take off their clothes and their boots. They just, like, pulled it out of their zipper? Yeah, just imagine. There's men lined up down the hall. These women would keep about 25 cents per visit. I'm trying to think and about, like, how much money that would and, be. But more so than thinking about how much that is in today's money, you will hear as I go through the list of how much other sex workers made okay oh my god i i can't even imagine like i'm my mind is blown with 70 men a night yep and the uh butte minor recorded with an abandon that has no trace of modesty in it these women lean out of their windows and address the vilest kind of language imaginable to people passing on the street or else boldly make their appearance on the thoroughfare and visit from one crib to another yeah so, i mean it's like it's like how you fight okay again i'm not like serving is not the same as sex working but it's like as a server, you fight over tables or you like want a table because it's like every table you have is going to be another like, 20, 40 bucks in your pocket. So if working in a crib house is a volume industry, what else is a service or a volume industry? Serving. Okay. Yeah, it is. Again, it like, is. You're, yeah, I mean, it not is the similar. same. Not the same, but, but there are a lot of similarities to be to be drawn as well. But yeah, it's the same. It's like. Of, you know, and you don't, you're not seen as like lewd or whatever if you're like, oh, I want that table. No, you're yeah. just, yeah, but it's maybe so slightly greedy. <laughs> slightly, yeah, slightly greedy. Uh, so then, of course, venereal disease was very present in these establishments. Very present. Next came the cottage girls. These women were independent contractors. 
These women either had a bad experience with a brothel or madam or just wanted to work for themselves. These were entrepreneurs, uh, right? Totally. Yeah. Actually, I resonate most of these women. These were yeah. two room cottages with a bedroom and a living area. The independent woman, sex worker, cottage girl was in charge of her client list and collecting fees. This also made them very vulnerable to robbery abuse, and violence because she worked alone. A cottage girl would see a client for a whole night or charge by the hour. In this strain, uh, many madams and sex workers got creative beyond the confines of the hierarchy. So I think we can argue that cottage girls are trying to like break out of the hierarchy of madams or working in a crib house or just working on the street. They're like, I don't accept any of these situations. Imagine this like badass cottage girl who has a shotgun mm-hmm. like by her bed, and so I actually give a I give I give a really detailed example after we go through the hierarchy of a cottage girl because she's my favorite story of a sex worker in the West as a cottage girl. Yeah, so she's really cool. So next came the low-end or volume brothels. These brothels, uh, known as disorderly houses, were tidy but not fancy, and the sheets were only changed once a night. The women who worked in these houses were past their prime, and their clothes were clean but not fashionable. Although not as high volume as some sex workers are in status, it was common to see a handful of clients per shift or per night. A couple of minutes of flirting was then followed by getting down to business, hourly rates, sometimes 15 minutes rates were used rather than nightly rates. Alcohol, drug abuse, violence, and venereal disease also were very common in these brothels. It's, it's not surprising to see if they only change the sheets once a night. I mean, stuff stays, ugh, okay. Yeah, right? Yeah, stuff stays. So on. this isn't necessarily, a, these, these women that I'm about to talk about next aren't exactly sex workers, but there's the sex industry adjacent. So I thought it was important to bring them up. Saloon and dance hall girls. Uh, these women did not sleep with the patrons of the saloon, but they provided companionship. They would sing, dance, flirt, and talk with them, trying to get these men to spend more money and time at the saloon or dance hall. Most saloon girls made a commission on the drinks that they sold. Most of the profit in brothels and parlor houses were made on liquor. And when I read like, oh, they marked it 30 to 60% up. I was like, sounds like your average restaurant. I was going to say like, that's what like all your profit in restaurants is. Mm-hmm. So saloon girls are like, when you see a Western, that's like the girl, that's, that's what the, you think of. It's like a bar, almost like a barmaid. Yeah, exactly. These women were actually the most iconically dressed. So when you think of a saloon girl and the way they dressed, that was actually pretty accurate. These women wore bright clothes, knee-length skirts, which were really scandalous at the time. They dyed their hair and they wore makeup, hence the term painted ladies. So actually the quote unquote moral and decent women of the time did not dye their hair and they did not wear makeup. Well, I'm, I would be morally indecent then, I guess. Uh, you. I mean, yeah, I don't want gray hair to show. <laughs> You're 29. You don't have any gray hair. Ever since I started having kids. Yes, I do. No one, no one would be able to tell. <laughs> taffeta petticoats went to their boots and arms and the breasts were left bare and exposed that's actually a huge contrast to the other sex workers of the time many of the other sex workers of the time favored white dresses obviously the more fancier sex workers would have like very elegant dresses but most of the sex workers you see at the time like in the more common brothels in you know, the crib houses, all those things. They're wearing white dresses. I have photos. I sent them to our thing, but it's really, it's oh, actually, yeah. they actually look really cute. I was just wondering about the white dresses and the innocence of white. Is there anything with that where like they were trying to look more innocent? I, that's I, just, like- I, I honestly, I was, I 
didn't even look more into that. I honestly just think that oh, wow, they're like all white, wearing white. White was almost seen as like a woman of leisure. Like you couldn't wear white if you were like a wife or a normal like working girl because it would get dirty. Oh yeah. Surprised at how many people are wearing white. I like this. Yeah, I like this one lady who's just like pulling up her dress. Right? Isn't that cute? Yeah. I feel like that's that picture, this picture of like the lady in white and then the other <laughs> lady that's next us. to her. Honest, yeah. The lady with long hair is me. And she's like, come get me. And then the lady who's just like holding up her skirts, like, you want this? And just giving this <laughs> like I don't give a fuck stare is you. Yep. Emily and I are now very comfortable with our sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> It's taken a long time, but we got there. Yes, it it, it did take a while. So uh, more along the lines with these uh, saloon and dance hall girls, uh, these women were actually considered good women by the men that came into their places of work. And they were most of the time treated as ladies and gifted lavish items by their admirers. In dance halls, men paid women 75 cents to a dollar to dance. This was split between the dance hall owner and the dance hall girl. If a dance hall girl was popular, she could have up to 50 dancers a night and make more in a night than a working man could make in a month. And I found out that a minor made $3 a day back in those days. How much did you say the woman made? So, so just this dance hall girl who's not even like high up on the totem pole when it comes to sex working. She would make 75, so 75 to a dollar per dance and this was split but she could have up to 50 dances a night. So she was easily making what the guy made in a week and a night. Yeah, right? no wonder they were the best. An interesting example of a unique saloon is the Birdcage Theater in Tombstone, Arizona. The owners initially wanted to put on respectable family shows, but the locals were not interested. They began offering more raunchier entertainment wanted by the local silver mining crowd. There were 14 cages suspended for the women from the ceiling, hence the name Birdcage Theater. So it was like, the very first go-go dancers? I don't know. They were in the cages? Like the bird cages, yeah. I don't like that at all. I don't either, but you got to admit it, they're getting creative. They are getting creative. <laughs> uh, so then next on the hierarchy came common brothels. These were known as $1 houses. These brothels were the working man's brothel. Piano players called, they called their piano players professor, played in a parlor and good meal and drink were served. There was often a bar. Most of these common brothels, these $1 houses, were located in saloons or dance houses or just adjacent. The women in these establishments were pretty but not refined enough to work in higher-end houses. Prices were affordable, and the women were very friendly to their customers and did not rush them. Common brothels were the type of house most often raided by police. Workers were in the were in greater danger of violence from their clientele and madams in common brothels, which I thought was surprising. There were even instances of newspapers of the day to try to start cat fights between the common brothels by publishing fake material. So I think that the common brothel is what we see most in books and Western literature. You know, kind of like these women who are like beautiful and they have clients, but they're just like, you know, a little bit more rough around the edges and it was interesting that the police raided these more often, which made you wonder if these ended up making more money than some of the higher end houses. I don't know. It was just very interesting. Yeah. Did you ever watch Westworld? No, it's on my to-do list. 
It's, I just think of, so Thandie Newton is amazing, but she is like the madam mm. of like this brothel and she, oh, she's so good. But I just, every time you, I just think of her, she's like the quintessential madam. I have to watch it and I love Thandie Newton. So you should watch it just for her. I will. I only watched the first season, but yeah, just, she's amazing. I don't know why. Cool. Never, no, yeah. that's not, that's a great watch Westworld and Harlot. Yeah. Okay. So then you next- do a lot of TV show watching for our research for these shows. <laughs> well, I also think it's important to like, see how people are portrayed because sometimes oh, exactly. it's like portrayed accurately. Harlots, I feel like, is a very realistic look into what was happening, mm-hmm. you know? And yes, it's not easy to watch. Yeah. And I started watching Call the Midwife, too. I love it because there's a really good episode about, there's really multiple episodes about sex working in that show. I love Call the Midwife. It's really good. My mom was like, you have to watch it because I'm planning on being a labor and delivery nurse. That's like my future career career goal and she's like smiling from ear to ear i love that idea (laughs) yeah (laughs) going back to school in a month online (laughs) okay maybe not so well well, real quick um my anatomy and physiology class got it got switched to an online only class because of the coronavirus Mm -hmm. and like i know in seattle the anatomy class you had to dissect a cat and so this class they're like yeah we're gonna send you your at-home lab kit and i was like oh my god are they gonna send me a dead cat to dissect? cats are gonna have ptsd they are my cats are gonna be like staring at me with the like the worst looks like mom that's so funny that's so cute all right all right but not so cute that's cute but not Uh, okay next on the hierarchy is high-end brothels uh in these houses the furnishing wine women and clothing were nice but not the finest or most fashionable the average house had between five and 20 girls there was still live entertainment like a man playing the piano the average price was between five and ten dollars a visit and the women were supposed to romance their customers but they were not as skilled and thorough as the parlor house girls they were able to keep half of their fee this was not a volume business and many cowboys and miners saved up to be able to visit one of these brothels but it would have been a definite strain on the budget in the best brothels the sheets were changed after each visit the clients were expected to be clean and on their best behavior so in the crib houses women made 25 cents per visit and in these these women made anywhere between like $250 to $5 per visit, but they were in such a clean, well-taken-care-of household with a madam that was probably a lot more proficient. Right. So next came parlor houses, which is like the one that we always, you know, like the glamorous houses. So parlor houses were uh, houses well-run by madams in the wealthy areas of town. They were elegant places of business and extravagantly furnished. The red lights outside the house and the red lights in the curtain, or the red curtains in the window let their customers know where to go. The finest houses had amazing cellars full of wine, liquor, cigars, bourbon, and they were known for their food. Sounds amazing. Right? I kind of want to go. I'm just like, I want to see sex workers like do their thing and sing and I want to eat good food. So the madam controlled the appearance of all the women in her house. In a parlor house, sex workers were like required to wear a corset while downstairs. The women working in these houses were young and taught to be cultured, and many sang or played piano for their wealthy clientele. The average age was 21. They were available by appointment only and did not deal in volume. The customers were expected to be clean and on their best behavior, and if they were disrespectful, a bouncer showed them the door. A woman could charge $30 to $100 a night or per visit. Plus the cost of food, drinks, etc. Oh my gosh, a hundred dollars? Yes, compared to the twenty-five cents. Yeah, and if forty dollars was a thousand in two thousand three, that would be like what, like four thousand dollars today? 
Yep. Wow. Plus the food cost of food and drink. Oh my gosh. And this was more than the average man would make in a month. The madam kept about half the fee, but the tips the sex worker earned was all hers. The madam provided food and board and laundry, but the women in the house were expected to buy their like own finery and clothing. The competition was very strong. And the minute a woman lost her looks, was a year past her prime, or did not please a customer, she was out. Ooh. So it's really actually easy to imagine how a woman started working in a parlor house and then went to a high-end brothel and went to a common brothel and then went to maybe being a saloon girl, then maybe went to being a, you know, a crib girl and then went to being a street walker. And I hate using all these. These are literally some of the only terms available right. for these times. Yeah. But it's really easy to imagine, isn't it? Yeah. You can get ousted. It's it's almost like it reminds me kind of like Hollywood where just one thing can ruin your entire reputation and then you're stuck doing whatever you can get. What well, can you imagine if you get a guy who like wants, I can't believe I'm saying, a guy who's like, let me suck on your toes. And you're like, no. And he's like, you did not please me. And then. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then you're out. Right. All because I you're mean, like, no, toes are gross. I'm not going to like you. Well, I mean, I think I would let someone suck on my toes, but I don't think I would suck on someone else's toes. Toes in general gross me out. I mean, if someone wanted to pay me like $2,000 to suck on my uh, toes. You know what? Then, yeah, maybe. I, I think you would go for like a guy that would buy you shoes. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So here's a little fun bit. Uh, women in parlor houses were promenaded around by their madam to promote to promote their business. Many times the sec sex workers were given poodles to attract even more attention. The poodle eventually became a symbol of prostitution or sex work in the West and was looked down on as a breed by quote unquote moral women. Poodle. Nowadays, you think of like the women who have like purebred poodles as the ones that's, that are like, you know, the upper class, like up I don't know. The upper you class know, Karens. Yes. Upper class Karens. Exactly. You know what? And the upper class Karens were the ones that in this time were not into poodles. We're like looking down on everyone. Totally. And of course, this was the top tier. They had low volume, safe atmosphere, sex working, attention to cleanliness. And of course, the lavish lifestyle attributed to higher quality of life and the lower level of violence. Now we're going to get into the dangers of sex working. Sex working was not a stable profession and exposed many women to violence. Many women, especially the lower level of sex worker who dealt in volume, became addicted to drugs that they used to get through their work nights. Condoms were available, but were expensive and were hard to attain. Many sex workers suffered or died from venereal diseases like syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. The treatments for these sexually transmitted diseases during this time were not very effective until mercury and arsenic were replaced with penicillin in the 1940s. Yes, they mercury used and arsenic? arsenic. Yes. Are you kidding me? I mean, I knew that mercury was like a common thing for syphilis, but like, yeah, okay. And according to a report quoted from a hospital in Idaho in 19 or 1865, one out of every seven patients, both men and women, were suffering from a sexually transmitted disease. To me, that seems high. Like a seventh of the population has a sexually transmitted disease. I have no idea what the numbers are today, but to me, that seems high. It seems high, but also nowadays, like we also have knowledge and about it. And, and yeah. Protection. Yeah. I mean, they're not as widely available as they should be. And the mm -hmm. knowledge is not as widely given as it should be. But the, especially back then, I feel like 
they didn't know that much about venereal diseases. Like they knew they existed, but like just the simple fact that like you could have 70 men on one woman. Like, yeah. One woman. And then one set of sheets before they were changed. Oh, I'm like, getting me yeah. shivers just thinking about that. I'm so glad well, you put that you, in perspective. Cause like, I, yeah. I didn't even think about it like that. So if you think about that, like the one seventh, cause I mean, if it gets transmitted, it's going to be on the sheets and it's on the sheets you're rolling around. It's going to get, it's going to go from person to person. Exactly. I mean, like even disease like that, I feel like could stay alive for, I mean, again, like I'm not in nursing school yet, so I don't know, but it, I could stay alive for maybe a couple hours or at least uh, an hour, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like that, that. Meant, yeah. So that, so when you think about that way, I feel like the one seventh doesn't seem that high. Right. And also sex workers also had, pregnancy and botched abortions to fear pregnancy could end a sex worker's profession and in life right right and many women yeah. on the frontier died in childbirth women yeah. ingested many poisonous lethal and not potions and remedies to end unwanted pregnancies violence was not uncommon women were already second class to men but sex workers had almost no legal rights sexual assault was a pandemic back then as it is today many women experienced the abuse of a man turned possessive and um, kind of we all have we all uh, yeah. sex workers are safer inside again still relevant today women working on the street are much in much more danger than a woman working in a brothel in a modern study although i believe it translates to back in the day in 2005 k weitzer discovered that outdoor workers had a 20 percent chance of higher or higher of being beaten robbed raped or kidnapped than sex workers that work indoors yeah i think that part of the thing is that from like looking into this and then also just you know from my 11 seasons of watching criminal minds uh-huh. <laughs> as i'm now a, an expert on criminology i think that women like quote-unquote process or sex workers that are on the street, I think it's easier for men who want to be abusive or even murder to just take someone on the street because you're not going to, like, if someone is doing that as a profession, it's not going to look out of the normal for someone to go into a dark alley, you know? And no, that's a really great point. That's a really good point. Yeah, and we'll talk about more more up on this in my future episode, but it's like a really easy prey for someone who wants to delve into that. There were a lot of people that were, but a lot of men specifically who were wanting to be abusive and have rape fantasies and murder fantasies who were able, you know, it was a lot easier to go about these women. One, because they were not going to be looked at. No one would kind of bat an eye if they were gone. Mm -hmm. And then if it was like a, a white woman from an upper class family, someone would be shocked and they would, you know, they would look into it. But a woman like this, it was just... It was almost like, oh, you chose this profession. That's what comes with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is uh, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And sex working does not have a pension plan. That kind of made me have a wry chuckle, but you know, and many sex workers died from disease or overdose alone and in poverty. Yeah, you're like always paycheck to paycheck. Penis right? to penis. Penis to penis. That's exactly, I love that so much. <laughs> that's that's our new shirt. That's our new, yep, penis to penis. So uh, let's, let's make wine tumblers. <laughs> penis to penis. And then when he hears them, when he cheers them with each other and they clink, you have to say penis to penis. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so. Now I'm going to get into just a couple. There are so many examples, granted, only of white madams and, madams and sex workers in the Wild West. I picked three of my 
favorite that I was able to read about. And they're not necessarily like the craziest, but you'll see why they're my favorites. So there was Julie, uh, Julia Butte, an old mining camp ballad states. First, the miners came to work in the mines. Then came the ladies who lived on the line. So on the Comstock load, there was little regulation or constraint of sex working. So it was really allowed to grow as an industry. And it really was unique in that it served as a social function for the whole city. Juliet Butte was an American born or English born American sex worker. She relocated to Virginia City, Nevada, a mining boomtown in 1859. She was the only woman in the town when she arrived. Because of this, she became highly sought after by the miners. I wonder why. (laughs) Seriously, right? She worked out of a rented cottage on a popular street corner as an independent operator. So she was like the cottage girls we were talking about, the ones that I said I actually resonated the most with. Uh, She would have had heavy competition with the fancier parlor houses, brothels, common houses, and sex workers on the street. This competition would have resulted in pretty meager earnings. And she also had to put up with the stigma surrounding her profession. Her cottage, single cottage, expanded to a row of white clapboard cottages, which all had red lights on the door when it turned dark. So she was able to expand. She Is was that where a, like the red light district came from? I, I honestly think so because these women put red lights and red curtains to signify like, hey, were, yeah. And we don't really need to go into why they did that. We can pretty, it's easy to see what the analogy is, especially with yeah. red curtains. Okay. Yeah. So uh, sh- this is the cutest part for me. She was a really good friend to the miners who adored her and she in turn supported them. She provided companionship as well as sex. She opened her home as a hospital to the miners after several hundred of them became ill because of contaminated drinking water. She nursed many it. of the men herself. She raised money for the Union Army. She stayed put when many left the town because of an an eminent American Indian attack or Native American attack. My personal favorite is when the firefighters made her an honorary member of Virginia Engine Number 1. On 4th of July, 1861, the firemen elected her Queen of the Independence Day Parade, and she rode the fire truck through town wearing a fireman's hat and carrying a brass fire trumpet filled with fresh roses. I love her. What was her name again? Julia Butte. Julia Butte. I'm naming my first, my firstborn child Butte. <laughs> it's so cute. And then she often donated money for new equipment and lent a hand at working the water pump. Marion S. Goldman in his book says she aided in the construction of a civic order in Virginia City. And the thing is, is that this is not uncommon with a lot of sex workers. A lot of madams were extremely charitable and were highly invested in the cities that they lived in. She sounds amazing. Right. And then in 1867, she was found partially nude, bludgeoned to death, and she was found by her maid in her bedroom. The entire city went into mourning for her. Even the saloons closed in respect of Julia. On the day of her funeral, thousands of people walked in procession behind her hearse. The firemen led the procession, you know, the firemen from the Virginia Engine number one. Yeah. Followed by the Nevada militia. Although she had an elaborate funeral and day of mourning, the quote unquote decent and morale population of the city could not let a woman of easy virtue be buried in consecrated ground. On the website Find My Grave, it is said that she was buried in a lonely grave half a mile out of town. A wooden plank with the name Julia painted on it was all that marked her final resting place. And it still exists. And I want to go find it. Where is it? In Arizona? It, no, in it is in Virginia City, Nevada. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Let's make a trip. Right? There's I I, I made a whole list of brothel houses that exist at our museums now that I want to go to. That sounds amazing. 
And then it says, you are actually able to read a reprint of the article in the Reno Gazette Journal about her death in 1867. It is so explicit and detailed that I actually had to squint, like skim through the description of how they found her body because I got squeamish. Oh, did they ever figure out what happened to her? Like who did it? Oh, or? oh it's kind of, it's iffy. So like really quickly, like here's a pretty rough quote from that article. Her life was one of those of... Uh, one of those erring mortals whose one mishap in youth hosts years of misery and repentance and her death a horrid ending to the fitful slumber of morality. Let a tear of sorrow for her frailties take the place of scorn for her weakness, for she may yet bloom on the tree of immortality. And I just wanted to kick that newspaper. Yeah. What about just swell? Right. And I find it so interesting that a woman who was a pillar of the town, constantly giving and helping, was still pitied for her profession, which actually gave her autonomy. And a French drifter was actually arrested for her death, but was not, definitely not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. He was just easy to pin. The one yeah. interesting thing about him was that Mark Twain witnessed his hanging. Oh, what? Which I thought was just really, right? And after her death, she was actually made into like this really crazy folk heroine and many of her parts of her life were exaggerated. So like what I said, I had dig for because they were like, she was the wealthiest and the most beautiful and the this and that because she was really made into a folk heroine because, you know, she was so brutally murdered. But of course, they like couldn't respect her when she was alive. I mean, some did, but like, you know, it's like that whole thing of it's like the beautiful dead girl. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to pay attention to you when you're alive, but when you're dead, it's like this, you know, yeah. I completely agree. So another one that I mostly, I just don't know why I thought she was so funny. Her name is Dora Dufran. Dora arrived in Deadwood, South Dakota during the gold rush and became an immediate success. The reason why I want to talk about her is because of her ability to be flexible with the times and her ability to advertise. Uh, she started as a dance hall girl and promoted herself to full on madam. She married a professional gambler who did not mind her profession and instead he helped her grow her business, which I thought was really cute. That is really cool. She actually occasionally employed Calamity Jane as a sex worker. Calamity Jane was actually an American frontiers woman who appeared in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And after Calamity Jane pretty much had to retire and was kind of on her deathbed at a very young age, she actually died in Dory Dufran's house. And Calamity Jane's actually like a really popular heroine. And she's very famous. Yeah, yeah. So it's just really crazy that, I mean, nobody ever says Calamity Jane engaged in sex work to help substitute her profession. And she was like a crack shot. She was like the best in her field. And as a woman, she still had to supplement her income. Ugh. Well, that's what I was just thinking. Deadwood. I, I was like, I know that name. Matt was, we've talked about like. Is that show? Well, there is a show. Yeah. But he was also telling me that he, when he lived in North Dakota, he went down to Deadwood. Yeah. Down. Or, uh, yeah. No, wait, no, no. Down. down. Yeah. It's down. It's down. South is yeah. That's why I'm like, yeah. uh, Kermont. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, Kermont and also the Dakotas. But he went down there and said like he went to uh, one of the casinos or something. And it was just, it's like a famously haunted like Old West casino. Because it was like one of the haunted places. And I was like, that sounds like really fun. I want to go. Sounds like so much fun. We should make like a harlot's tour when we're allowed to tour the country next summer. Next summer. Hopefully if everyone wears in masks. Wear a mask, not a bra. <laughs> If you have to, if you have to choose one thing that you think is going to be like oppressive, and masks are not oppressive, let me just say because bras are way more oppressive. Than bras that. are way more oppressive, and let me just say, like, if you have a problem with a mask, think of all the healthcare workers who wear masks all the time. And if the doctors and nurses stopped wearing masks when they gave you surgery, they're not wearing it for them; they're wearing it for you to protect your like open organs from bacteria. So, Amen. 
Amen. Yeah. Also, if you have to, but if you think it's oppressive, I, if you think it's oppressive and you want to just like choose one thing, then ditch the bra and just wear a mask. I agree. Yeah. Well, ditch the bra. I'm trying to think of what else is super oppressive. I, I wear I shoes. Yeah. yeah ponytails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just I, I uh, patriarchy. <laughs> I have been nipping out every time I go into Walmart lately. <laughs> <laughs> like I just walk in I like I'm not wearing a bra it's very obvious I have small little boobs okay it's like it's like friends all over again I am pulling the Rachel it's it's okay it's cool but I'm wearing a mask and I am social distancing so I hope that's how Rachel would be today too she would be she would be wearing like a um a Louis Vuitton mask or something <laughs> or Prada yeah. mask no Ralph Lauren Oh, yeah. No, remember she got the Prada job at the very end, I think. <gasps> Was it Prada? Yeah. Something. Something. Ralph Lauren. I think Ralph Lauren is coming up with some very attractive masks. She, she with the chain print because that's what we they're should, known for. We should make masks. That say Harlot and sh- oh, my gosh, we'll shock every grandma in the store. Penis to penis. No, Harlot. I think Harlot's better. Yes, let's make Harlot masks. We could just say P to P or peen to peen. And then they won't get it. Peen to peen. I like a harlot. Like just a mask that says harlot on it. All right. That's our next. That's our next. Boom. Part. That's our next project. Yeah. Uh, so back to Dorothy Fran. Dora's most popular parlor house. And this is this is honestly the reason why I talked about her. Her most par- popular house is called Diddling Dora's. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best name. I oh, know. my God. And she said that she was known for the three D's, drinking, dining, and dancing at Diddling Dora's. I do not think that dance, like, I, the three I, D's. I, I know. I, I feel like, I, no, I, I think it was tongue-in-cheek. That's why yeah. I said I, I really liked her. And after her husband died in 1909, she did not slow down. She actually opened another brothel in Rapid City, South Dakota, during Prohibition and was extremely successful. Oh that was rare. And a super fun anecdote about her and about that brothel in Rapid City was that during a flood, she had a full house of men that got stranded at her brothel and it led their wives to figure out where they were and they came after them with rolling pins and umbrellas and they were (laughs) sitting there waiting for the water level to lower so that they could go after their husbands. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. They should have come with boats. Isn't that just like amazing? Like, Oh, I just like love that idea so much. And I was like, these women, like I would be more scared of an angry woman with like a rolling pin than like somebody with a knife. (laughs) Oh, I know. If you had to choose like as your weapon of choice between an umbrella and a wood rolling pin, what do you think rolling pin? Like, cause you could hit someone with it. Umbrella. I'm just like, what am I supposed to fence? I can't fence with this crap. (laughs) I think somewhere like and at 3 a.m. last night, I was watching a CW show. I was watching Legend of Tomorrow. And there's, like, uh, this girl who's my hero in it. But she's, like, really good at, like, sword fighting. And I actually looked up. I was like, how do you how do you learn I how to sword fight at I home? want a fence. I want a fence really badly. I, for- I know. I forgot to tell Matt that because we, we just ever got since, a... Ever since uh, Parent Trap. Yes. Then yep. Lohan version. Yep. <laughs> Matt just ordered a workout thing for us. I got home. It's like a, one of the TRX things where it's like the body weight. You hang it from the ceiling. Nice. And so we're going to start. We're, I mean, we're not allowed to ever leave our houses again. So we have to do it at home. But I, okay, I got to get Matt into us like learning how to sword fight and like learn. Because I was like, I need to know. Like if someone attacks me, I want to know how to, to hit him with. A- yeah, totally. 
Oh, I agree. I agree. So then that was Dora Dufran. So we've covered Juliette Butte and Dora Dufran, both very different women. And next is probably one of the most famous madams. And I did it because she is from Colorado. And you are in Colorado. So her name's Maddie Silks. Maddie Silks. Yeah, she's she's pretty famous. Uh, Acquired her first brothel at age 19 in Springfield, Illinois in 1865. But her wealth came from opening brothels in Colorado during the gold rush. She was said to be a good looking woman with a strong competitive spirit who bragged she was never a worker like a never a working class girl, but always a madam. Oh, you told me about her. There's like, yeah. hold on, I have to look her up. There's, I think, a place in Colorado that's like... Yeah, it's, is it called the Hall of Mirrors or the Mirror House? House of Mirrors? Um, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The nude silks, uh, there's Colorado Encyclopedia. Denver's Queen of the Nightlife. Yeah. So let me tell you okay. about her. All right. Sorry, I'm looking her up. Okay. No, it's okay. So she was, she claimed that she was always a crack shot and always carried a pistol. Yeah. Competition, to right? Totally. And competition between madams was very fierce and they were willing to get violent to get a couple of like inches ahead. Maddie Silks was actually involved in the first recorded duel between two women in Denver. It is because Maddie Silks and the other madam were both involved with the same man. But both both missed their targets. So they both shot at each other and both missed. <laughs> Which thankfully, thankfully. And yeah. So her house of mirrors on Market Street was the most elegant and famous in Denver. Between 1877 and 1895, her brothel was the most successful in Denver. So like almost 20 years, she had the most successful brothel. And she was awesome. fittingly known as the queen of Denver's red light district. The House of Mirrors was known for its parlor of floor-to-ceiling mirrors, crystal chandelier, and furnishings of heavy maple. Music like Ragtime was played by a professor on a piano with a five-person orchestra. Um, She was an astute businesswoman who took regular trips out to the East Coast to recruit new women. And then she would parade them through the streets on the way back to show off her new wares and advertise. She used sliding scales for pay, pretty much would charge whatever someone would pay. A night with one of her girls could cost from 10 to 200. Champagne could cost from five to $100 a bottle. She was just like a very, like she would like eye someone up and know like, okay, like what to charge. Yeah. Yep. And uh, she required her ladies, uh, her girls to be a lady in the drawing room and a whore in the bedroom. Anything went upstairs, but down below the woman in the parlor must behave properly. And as we have learned, they can do everything but oral sex. <laughs> How long did that like go on? I don't know. It's you something know. for us to explore. Cause I, I literally, yeah. I literally was able to read that and I was it just shocked me. Was that like I, the lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets? <laughs> let's hope that that's where that came from. She was a rare success story because she married a Colorado rancher and retired respectable and rich. This was rare even for madams. Maddie Sucks is quoted as saying, she went into the sporting life for business reasons and for no other. It was a way for a woman to make money in those days and I made it. Uh, And it's just kind of interesting about like how the legal systems recorded her life. And the 1900 census lists Maddie as a landlady renting to female boarders age 19 to 25. And I thought that was so funny. Like I was like, oh, she treated her girls very well. She let them keep half the high prices. She charged her favors. She fed her girls two fine meals daily. I mean, she was just known as all around <laughs> together. Like, and like when I say fine meals, I think she like fed them fine meals. And she was known for like the best champagne. And I was like, I want to work for Maddie Silks. <laughs> I think if I were, I was thinking about this. I think if I were a madam, like I would treat my 
my girls so well. I would want them to be happy because, yeah, right. you have so much competition and, like, you want to protect them, too. Like Right? Totally. Totally. And then those were, like, three really kind of fun examples. I just wanted them to be fun. Obviously, there's a lot more examples. There's a lot more sad examples. I just want to let everyone know. Ending your life from sex working marrying a rancher was not the typical thing. Oh, it yeah. was very rare. It was very rare for a woman to create immense wealth. You had to be very cutthroat. It's like, a, that's like the Cinderella story or whatever, you know, like. Exactly. And so now we're going to get into slightly more serious. Um, and I really want your input on this, Emily. It's the decline of sex working. So in 1870, I'm just giving like a really, it was slightly more, it was very progressive for the time. And even today, St. Louis was a rarity because the city council legalized prostitution. The woman had to be licensed and had to pay for we weekly health ex inspections. Not perfect, but it was a beginning for sex worker rights. But this was a this was repealed because of demonstrations by reform activists. Then in 1873, the Comstock law was passed by the New York Society for Suppression of Vice which made it illegal for the transport, uh, transport of obscene, lewd, or lavicious material, including birth control information. This, of course, attacked parlor, house, and brothel directories and advertising. As the U.S. became a united country by the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was increased regulations based on uh, placed on sex working. Also, the female population increased in the West, along with reformers and other civil influences that moved in with them. And so really quickly, I wonder if that contributes at all to nowadays a lot of the white male population being against women having birth control material. I wonder if it's, I mean, it's been in our history for like 150 years with the stupid Comstock law. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking that like, why? So if brothels were so, were so widely known, like that they existed and, you know, men were very obviously going to them. Like, why can't we as a society accept the fact that people have sex and just because women are the only ones that can get pregnant and have to deal like, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're expendable. We're not yeah. valuable as men. Yeah, exactly. So like, wh why can't we as a society though, like accept that it happens and it's like the same, like the thing, like it's like if men could get pregnant, people like birth control would be paid for. And it's, Vi it's so stupid. Viagra is covered under insurance, but both birth control isn't. So one is for pleasure, pleasure. The other is like literally life-changing. I do want to say too, and like, this is not like a, a sponsored thing or anything, but I just, there are a lot of sites like apps and stuff out there right now. Like I even use, like I use nurse, nur, Nurex, N-U-R-X, but there's a lot of places right now that um, you can order birth control online. You can talk mm -hmm. to a nurse and it's $15 a month. They send you three months at a time. And when we get our website up and going, there will be resources on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially with like everything going on with people trying to, there's a lot of apps like that too. And I have struggled for a long time with like finding the right birth control. And it's really important to find the right because it can affect your mood so much. Like I have literally been oh driven down into like deep depressions Mm -hmm. And like anxiety attacks because of the wrong birth control. And I have taught, you know, you just have to, you have to advocate for yourself. Definitely. I love how you talked about that. That's really important. That's why I really wanted you to weigh in on this because yep. you're a female, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Last time I checked. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, throughout the uh, century, white middle-class evangelical moral reform activists worked passionately to get rid of sex working as an industry. This was led by the middle-class men and 
women in the revivalist movement and the article Brothels for Gentlemen, reformers responded with a variety of strategies, evangelizing, rescuing prostitutes who wanted to get out of business, and warning Americans through spoken word and print about the many dangers that prostitution posed to individuals' families and even the very social fabric of the United States. The movement expanded into an effort to suppress all forms of non-marital sexuality, including masturbation, and reformers' collective voice dominated 19th century discourses about sexual matters. Moral reformers quickly became the dominant force in shaping popular ideas about human sexuality, advocating the repression of all sexual activity except within the sanctity of marriage. They stressed the idea that prostitutes were the victims of both economic circumstance and men's failure to control their own sexual impulses. So that's last sentence, yes, but the rest of it, no. Yeah. Right. It's like you can see where a lot of our problems as a country come from. Yeah. Masturbation is a very healthy thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that everyone should be empowered to do and feel comfortable to do. And it's yeah, it's not shameful. But I think maybe it goes back to like what I was talking about. I think maybe the last episode with the Victorian thing that I was looking at where they thought that one ounce of semen was worth 40 ounces of blood where it's like the men will exhaust all their energy spending themselves and then how will they work? And like, it's, yeah. I wonder what king sperm was worth to them. (laughs) (laughs) It's gold. It was, yeah, liquid gold. Although these uh, reform activists wanted to end sex working, they also never forgave a woman for her past in sex working. If a woman woman left the profession to enter a more quote-unquote legitimate profession and her employers discovered that she was a sex worker she would be fired so it's like get out of this this is horrible this this is immoral but also if we discover that you've been it or because you have done it you also still can't get a legitimate profession so it's very similar to people who leave the prison system today yeah no reform i was thinking about that when i when i was watching harlots the other day the in the first season the lady who's really against it she's really religious and then this other lady is holding against her that she was a harlot Mm -hmm. in her time and it's like why do we care about what someone has gone through in their past like why should it be a shame your past is your past and like we should, you know, accept people for what they had to go through and what they had to endure. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be judgment about what you had to do in the past. Because if you have been able to come out of it and come out on, of course, there's like a lot of trauma and stuff and come out of that, whatever you've had to like claw your way out of. Right. You should be applauded for, not judged. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Because of sex working and the formation of red light districts, the Women's Christian Temperance Union went after that other vice, alcohol and prohibition began. They also championed against sex working, of course, and drug use. And then this is something that is controversial. Um, just listen completely bef- while I finish before you make up your judgment. The White Slave Traffic Act of 1910 or the Man Act, which made it illegal to transport women across state lines for sex working purposes, is a manifestation of the fear of the moral, quote unquote, middle class of legal sex working. Modern views, city life and relaxed courtship for young women without supervision made people fear that these women could be lured or kidnapped for prostitution. Sex slavery is real even today, but I do think a lot of the panic started because of women stepping outside societal standards. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm yeah. not going to say that sex slavery isn't real. 
I know it's real, but the fear of it stemming from back then, I think is just because women literally were like, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And there's, I'm trying to, I'm like, I feel like I'm talking a lot about the episode I'm researching on, but that's okay. Uh, there was a, article that I read that was there was an argument to be made that the patriarchy was threatened by a woman who was working for herself and out in public making her own way and Mm -hmm. earning money for herself you know in whatever way she was forced to do it by society but that the patriarchy was threatened by this so that they were condemning prostitution harder because like a lot of the things that we're dealing today with, you know, racism and race, the white patriarchy thinks that life is a pie and that yeah. if somebody takes it, it's not there for you to take. And it's this and that. And let's just get it over with. It's not a freaking pie. Rights and societal rights and economic rights and legal rights. It's not a freaking pie. It's not just a pie. because somebody has more rights than they previously had does not mean that you have less rights. So stop freaking griping yeah, about it. It's not like everybody. It's almost if you're going to think of as a pie everyone has their own individual pie and everyone's pie should be eaten <laughs> pizza pie oh i'm i want a pie right now right right so then uh states also passed laws like the red light abatement act which were vice laws passed to get rid of sex working or at least the at least organized sex working. These laws were actually based on prohibition liquor laws and that makes you wonder about how legitimate they really are because are we still practicing prohibition? Yeah. In 1919, 41 states had laws similar to the Abatement Act. These laws led to the removal of most red light districts. But renting to single women after these laws became extremely discriminatory. Most landlords would not rent a first floor apartment to a single lady or would not rent to them at all if they were worried that any single woman must be a sex worker. To add perspective, in 1930, 13, 100,000 women were estimated to be working in brothels and 500,000 to be working as sex workers. So even when all these things were becoming illegal, a huge majority of the female population was still involved in sex work. Uh, as the obvious result to outlawing a profession, which is seen as a very viable and sometimes the only option for employment for women, many sex workers moved to the streets, which was infinitely more dangerous. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the red light abatement law in California this law was still actually used in 2018 to shut down some massage parlors, which is just like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'd like, yeah, this massage parlors, it was just interesting that they were still using this law. It said in Deadwood, South Dakota, sex working was tolerated by officials and locals for centuries until the last madam was brought down for tax evasion in 1980. Oh my gosh, in Yeah. I feel like it all goes back to Deadwood. Totally. It all does. Uh, And then sex work or prostitution is made illegal at the state level. Under the 10th Amendment, states may permit, prohibit, or regulate commercial sex. Only when it involves crossing state lines does it fall to the federal government under the Mann Act, even today. It is legal today in some rural parts of Nevada. The modern categories for sex work today is street, brothel, and escort. Today, sex work is a misdemeanor crime, but of course, in places like Louisiana, convicted sex workers are forced to register as sexual offenders. What? Yes. Yes. What? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. So a mother, a mother who has no other option but to provide for a kid by sex working is listed as a sex offender and now she can't go on a field trip with her kids and etc and cetera etc cetera. and it's just it's, yeah I, I just want to say too about like nowadays that the idea that poverty and being born in poverty is something that you can just climb your way out of easily 
and that it's not like a cycle is something that is like, you know, it's a system. It's a system that puts down, it puts down people of color and it puts down women and women of color, especially, but like, mm-hmm. and it need you know, that, that needs to be addressed. You know, if a woman is having to go into sex work, she's probably had to deal with a lot of things in her life. And that may be her only option. And in a way I can, I of course cannot relate to mother's and single mothers of color, but I was a single mother for some time. And that stress and that desperation that you do feel when you're trying to provide for your child, but you literally have no options for childcare. Yeah. You literally have no options for these things. It's no wonder why a lot of single Not mothers. Family. <laughs> right? I had I had a great support system, but if I didn't have that support system yeah. that was able to help me watch my child with care and without me paying them, it's no yeah. wonder what I would have had to possibly do just as mother, many other women have had to do. And it's just like in that way, I was like, I probably was maybe a month or two away from possibly using that as an option. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you had a good support system, but like you were also working yourself to the bone. To the bone. Like, I was working 55, 60 hour weeks while having a baby. It was yeah, like like an infant. Yeah. Just to, just to put, and it's like, Oh, would I have rather worked that or maybe a couple hours, a couple nights a week, you know, like it's just, it's, it's no wonder why some women choose this, especially mothers and single mothers especially of color. Um, And then here's my quick argument for legalizing sex work. I am sourcing, should sex work be decriminalized? Some activists say it's time from All Things Considered on NPR, which is a gem of a radio show. Right? Yeah. I've listened to that for as long as I can remember after Sunday church. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my mom. I like like NPR now and I like reading their stuff, but just the way they talk, you know, how they talk. Uh, so. It always lured me to sleep in the back of the car. Right. It just reminds me of Parks and Rec. This is Jerry yeah. Mobles. <laughs> this, this is all your thoughts. <laughs> Indiana Public Radio. I would always fall asleep in the back of the car. My mom would turn on NPR and I'd be like, great, now I can take a nap. It would lure me to sleep. All right. Right. Uh, all things considered, this American life, you're Amazing. First, uh, even though it is illegal, the National Institute of Justice in a 2008 study actually estimated that 15 to 20 percent of men have engaged in commercial sex. Sex work is happening and criminalizing it is just hurting marginalized populations. One of my champions, Kamala Harris, came out last year in support of decriminalizing sex working as long as it's between two consenting adults. Mm -hmm. Decriminalizing sex work protects sex workers just as decriminalizing abortion protects women who need that aspect of reproductive health. Sex work and abortions happen legally and illegally, and we need to protect women who choose sex work as their profession for many, many different personal and economic reasons. Legalizing sex work can also be great for public health and STDs, such as in the incidents where uh, incident, sorry, I'm getting really passionate about this, where the Union General legalized sex work for his soldiers and the STDs dropped drastically. And all things considered, R.J. Thompson, a former escort and a human rights lawyer, says this. Many street-based workers are migrants or transgender people who have limited, limited options in these formal economies. And so they do sex work for survival and it puts them in a very vulnerable position. Fact that it's criminalized. It is obviously very hard to get 
exact financial numbers, but the sex trade is a billion a dollar a year industry. 290 million was made in Atlanta alone in 2007 by sex work, according to a government sponsored report. 290 million in Atlanta alone. We can ignore, can't ignore the link between human trafficking and prostitution as well, but it is very hard to get exact statistics. My only argument would be that the more regulated sex working is, hopefully the harder it would be to keep a sex worker against his or her will or their will. It is a controversial topic and I do not know all the answers, but I think that this is something that does need to be talked about more. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Right? And as Mm -hmm. said by Dora Topman, one of the most prominent madams in Utah, I know and you know that prostitution has existed since the earliest ages. And if you are honest with yourselves, you will admit that it will continue to exist no matter what may be said or done from the pulpit or through the exertions of women's clubs. And that is sex working and sex workers <laughs> in the Wild West. <laughs> Mic drop. Good job. Take a big Thank swig. Thank you. I will. I feel great. so accomplished. <laughs> you did a really good job. Thank you. I really resonate with that because I feel it's... <sighs> I mean, we could, Emily, this is why we're best friends. I know, I know, because we, we have the same ideas about this and we understand. But I think that given like what we've been researching and what we know today, we need to think about the fact that like this is a job that happens and it's a job that usually happens from people who like the quote unquote street walking happens from people who don't really have a lot of other choice that people are literally like oh i want to be a street walker like i or i want to work on the streets no and don't get me wrong i know that there are people who go into sex trades because they want to and that's great that they feel liberate liberated and empowered Empowered. to be a dom or a sex worker or an escort Mm -hmm. and i mean i applaud that because i think that there is a lot of freedom and strength in that but just because that they feel the freedom freedom and that strength doesn't mean that those people don't deserve to be protected as well. Absolutely. And there's a lot, I think, like sexual abuse goes into it a lot. And I think that the sexual abuse and once that happens, feeling disempowered of your sexuality and feeling like you don't have control over it and feeling like, you know, that may be something that you can do to achieve control. There needs to be a whole hell of a lot more done to protect women, especially in this current political climate. Women are not being protected. And a long vote in November. Everybody vote in November because beyond that, beyond women, (laughs) we also know it it means we also we know that it's women of color, but also transgender women and transgender women of color, especially where we really want to champion for them. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're not just talking yeah. just about just cis white women. No. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. This, this extends. And, you know, even if we are covering a cis white woman or a cis white women topic, we also want to cover trans women, trans women of color. We want to, you know, and that and when we are talking about women being championed, we just want it to be clear that we are always going to be talking about all women. Mm -hmm. Just to be patient with us as we are laying our foundations for all this research, because believe you me, it's going to be getting a ton more in depth because we are learning with this as we go along. But, you know, just to appreciate the time we put in, because for these two uh, prostitution in the uh, West, uh, we I put in 30 plus hours, you know, researching these episodes alone. 
you know, and Emily's episodes, you know, she's putting in time and a lot of hours too. So yeah, so when you're trying our best, this is uh, this is an independent podcast. So we are doing all this ourselves. We're doing the editing ourselves and we're doing all the research ourselves. So by the time this podcast, this episode is released, I'm sure we'll have a Patreon set up. So if you would like to support the show, we have, yeah, Patreon. We are also on Twitter and Instagram and we are going to, we are also like before we even set up our Patreon, we are working on Patreon content too. Totally, totally. And yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and a little bit more far reached. And we're gonna kind of go into some of the more nuanced aspects of the episodes that we're doing and also kind of the more conspiracy theory, which I know Emily loves. Emily loves a good conspiracy theory and she loves a good haunting episode. So we would be definitely yeah. doing those. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing we were talking about doing is the women of of Disney. Like, oh my gosh, yes, we wanted, yeah. we really wanted to. Yes, yep. I I want to say real quick, we were talking about this before, but like, or before we were, I think you and I were talking about this before we started recording. But I watched Aladdin last night, like the new one. The, you talked the about live that version. With- yeah, yeah. With Will Smith. And I loved it. Like, I literally, I thought it was... Is that your happy was, harlot moment? Yeah, this could be my happy harlot moment. Is that, yeah. So I talked about in the last, like, one of the last episodes we recorded, I think it was two, that Matt and I were having a really hard time with our TV watching. And we got a new mattress. Matt mounted our TV. It took probably, like, 12 or 13 holes in the wall to get the TV mounted because there was all these, like, random studs <laughs> that we were not expecting. But, um, so we have the TV mounted. We have our our new mattress that our cats really love and we watched and my parents gave me their disney plus password so we watched aladdin last night and it was so good and i loved it so much and i felt like compared to the original we talked about in one of our like in the Madahara episode about the so the original lines of Aladdin that were actually they were changed a year after they were released so in 1993 that's but, why my husband who loves Aladdin didn't know that that's what they said yeah, yeah I looked it up yeah a little bit more and so yeah it was 1992 they released it in 1993 they had to change the lines but the lines still said it's barbaric but hey it's home so and then in this Aladdin I noticed that you know when Will Smith is singing the beginning of the song he said it's chaotic but hey it's home which is so, so much better oh yeah barbaric like we could no we yep could, yep that's yep. a whole yeah yep. yeah and we talked about that in our, our madahari that was the first mm-hmm. episode yeah about orientalism and othering other cultures and stuff. i but, adored that story by the way it was so incredibly interesting to me yeah i'd love it was so much fun to research but the, a lot of, i was so happy because in uh, jasmine i feel like was one of the characters that really didn't get her own songs she didn't really get her own storyline did in that movie she did she not only she, i was like she got a song at the beginning and i was like that's cool but then that song at the end i got chills and i'm like i'm tearing up thinking about it because it was so right good. it was so cute i know where it was like i won't be quiet or i won't be mm-hmm. silent Mm-hmm. And she was like fighting the guards. It was so was so happy that they put more female empowerment and they ditched the stupid thing with the red dress. Like remember the original one with like ah, Yeah. yeah. So let's just say in that note, Disney, please release Mulan. We want to see live action Mulan. Oh my god. They were they're supposed to, right? I don't know when, but I can't wait because Mulan's my favorite. 
I think, did you know that, I think that I was the first person to show your daughter Mulan when, like, I, I was think so. I one. think so. Yeah, she, she, she loves it. But in that strain, my okay. happy Harlot happy moment, Harlot. I mean, I have so many because, of course, I have, like, kids that are doing, like, freaking cute and crazy things all the time. But my daughter has been trying, my daughter Zelda, who's six, and she's probably going to be the ones I share most about because the stuff she says aren't, like, nearly most, like, the stuff that my little kids do, it's usually like pretty embarrassing. And the stuff they say is like pretty like, yeah. So of course, so like, I like love her own human now. She, that, like, she's her own. Exactly. And yeah. she, she has become obsessed with Blackpink, the K-pop group. And she oh. is making up the funniest dances and it's making me so... And so she just like is begging me to be a video star and I'm only letting her make videos on my phone because I'm like, you're only six, you're not doing that. And she's yeah, been trying to make up... Be, what's her face? Uh, Sawa... Si, uh, oh, she's like 16 or 17 now. I know, but she... Yeah, she started off pretty young. But like, yeah. I just I just don't think that... Like, yeah, I just... Plus, no, I agree with from you. Asthma. But then she's been wanting, to, along with that, she's like, I want to make up my own songs, my own dances, and my own jokes. And she's been trying to make up her own jokes, and some of them are just, like, so bad. But I got a video of her saying her joke, and she's like, what do you call a cow that has no legs and only butts? And I was like, what is it? And she's like, a butt cow. <laughs> A blood cow. And I was like, perfect, Zelda. You nailed it. <laughs> so that's my happy harlot motion for the week. But cow. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? It was so infinitely better than like the 50 jokes that came before it. And then really quickly, just because it's a momentous occasion, we are on like day six or seven of potted training my super stubborn son who is going to potty of his own accord. And we are I down occasion we are down to like a half the diapers that we normally or pull-ups that we usually normally use in a day and i feel so incredibly guilty for using disposable diapers but i live in a condo that doesn't have a large laundry area and it's just nearly impossible for me to do reusable diapers you're doing your best also i i just i haven't gotten one picture of poop this potty training episode like i did <laughs> Zelda. i remember because, like that's because alfred's been only pooping on my floor you don't want to share those episodes i know that's i have to re-potty train my dog because she just got surgery and while she was on bed rest for her leg for like two weeks so she wouldn't poop outside or pee like we'd take her outside oh. and we had to carry her outside we had to like use a towel as a crutch to like wrap around her back legs and she had her like hat her i forget what matt called it it was like her her hat i don't know her helmet her yeah. cone of shame he called it her hat and she would just be take her out and she just lay down on the grass Aww. and so we like laid down a bunch of pads and stuff in the closet that we had to keep her in so she got used to going in there because i think she was like having a really hard time so now we have to re-potty train her we're in the same boat <laughs> we are yes <laughs> we already have decided that polar and alfred are like the same Exactly. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, look forward to next week. I hope you enjoyed sex working in the Wild West. Please, yeah, for the rest of our episodes and send us your thoughts and especially like your other uh, avenues for information. We would really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. 
Our music is by Lloyd Rogers, and our cover art and our editing is by us. If you enjoyed listening, we would be tickled if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can always email us at harlotsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our best to get back to you with something witty, snarky, or boring. We are also on Instagram and Twitter as Harlots of History. We love you all, even the haters.